Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So good to have all of you here in-house and those of you that are joining us online. We're so thankful that you tune in from week to week. Uh, let me just say a word of encouragement. Uh, if you've not yet come back to church and, and experienced church once again with, with other believers, I just want to encourage you. I know it's going to be in your own timing, but uh, just, just let this be one of those invitations to come and join us in worship. We're glad that you're tuning in today. We're glad that you're in the house of the Lord today. A couple of quick things to, to mention for those of you that are, are going to be uh, looking for something to pray for this week, please pray for our high school students. Uh, they have gone off on a short-term mission trip to Alaska. Uh, we call our missions go time. We do God time, group time, and go time. So they're on a short-term mission trip there in Alaska. If you'd pray for them, they arrived safely at 3 a.m. Uh, their time, so it was a long trip for them. And then also our middle school students are going off to camp this week, and so you could pray for them as well. And let me just say, uh, uh, just as a word of invitation, if you've not yet had the opportunity to meet myself or some of the other pastors, if you're new to the church, we would love to invite you to be a part of our Lunch with the Pastors next week. We're going to do that Sunday, next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. Uh, we're going to provide the food, and we're just going to spend a little bit of time together and get to know one another. So we'd love to see you there. Now, um, what I believe determines how I behave. What I believe determines how I behave. I believe that spiders are hairy, disgusting, poisonous beasts. And therefore, if one lands on me, I scream and flail my arms wildly. Uh, and heaven forbid some spider lands on me while I'm driving. Because what I believe determines how I behave. Uh, my wife, Tammy, she believes that every mouse that she sees is going to run up her pant leg. And so she jumps on the sofa as if mice can't climb, right? So what, what I believe determines how I behave. What you believe determines how you behave. Uh, if you believe you're not smart and you can't learn anything, your chances of doing well on that test are diminished. What you believe determines how you behave. Our belief determines our behavior. What you don't believe determines how you behave. If you don't believe that there is a personal God who made you, if you don't believe that this God has set moral standards, if you don't believe that that God is watching you, observing your behavior, knowing your thoughts, then you are going to behave any way that you want to behave without any fear of judgment. What you don't believe determines how you behave. And this idea of belief and behavior is not unique. It is found throughout Scripture. Uh, for instance, in the book of James, James says, what good is it if you say that you have a belief if that belief then doesn't result in some kind of behavior? And today, as we open up the Bible to 1 John chapter 5, I want to make this connection between belief and behavior as we begin to go through this passage. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 1. Everyone who believes, believes what? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, hang on to that little phrase, Jesus is the Christ. We're going to talk about that. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who believes the Father 
loves whoever has been born of him. So our belief that Jesus is the Christ is going to result in our behavior towards God and then our behavior towards everybody else who believes that Jesus is the Christ as well. Other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, throughout John, 1 John, we have been watching kind of this thread. He's kind of cyclical in the way that he makes these arguments and the points that he makes. And over and over, he's been talking about faith and love and obedience. And once again, he's drilling down once again on faith and love and then that resulting in obedient life. Then he says this, for everyone who has been born of God over comes the world. If you've been born of God, Jesus Christ is your savior. This is saying you are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our belief, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes, believes what? That Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Again, what we believe determines how we behave. And this passage opened up with a statement of belief, and then it closed with a statement of belief. Verse 1, it kind of starts out with this belief about Jesus in particular. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is what? The Christ has been born of God. And then it ended this paragraph by saying, the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have two terms there. Two different terms, but they run on parallel tracks. Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is the Christ. These two pieces of information are very, very important for us to believe. They're really important. So let's take a look at verse 1 there where it says, Jesus is the Christ. Now what does that mean? I mean, you read it throughout Scripture, but what does it mean that Jesus is Christ? Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's not Mary and Joseph Christ and their son Jesus. No, Christ is a term that means Messiah. It means the anointed one. Jesus is the appointed anointed one that the Israelites had been waiting for who would come and who would redeem them. Now, he did not come in the way that they anticipated as the kind of king that they would have set up on a throne, but he is the anointed one. He is the king. He was 100% man. This is what Jesus Christ means. He is man, a hundred percent man, the anointed one. And again, what you believe determines how you behave. And this is true about our belief, whether or not Jesus was a human being. Because when I begin to understand that Jesus was a human being, I then understand that God is relating to me in a very unique way. I understand that he has entered into the same kind of experience. What kind, what kind of God would it be who just kind of creates something and then is so far removed and never experiences what we experience? What, what kind of a God is it who, who doesn't know what it is to be in skin, to be in our shoes, to experience temptation? What, what kind of power is there in, in a God who feels no pain because he's just spirit? What kind of power is there in a resurrection of one who's just simply God, just simply a spirit? No, he is more than that. He's 100% man. He, he has entered into what we have entered into. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 
You see, when I begin to understand that this God has come and he is relating to me as a human being, that changes how I behave towards him. I begin to look at my life differently knowing that he has come as 100% man. I begin to be able to experience temptation differently when I know that Jesus has experienced the same kind of temptations and overcome. I begin to experience grief differently. I begin to experience pain and challenges differently because I know that God has entered into our experience as man. Jesus is the Christ. Now, what does it mean there in in verse 5 that Jesus is the Son of God? What does this mean? Well, it's to believe that Jesus is divine, that he is deity. He is is the pre-existent Lord. He has always existed. He has always been. He is eternal. Eternal means he has always been in past and he always will be in the future. You and I, we're not eternal. We could be everlasting. We, we, we had a starting point, right? We've been created by God, but God is eternal. He has always been. We can be everlasting when we receive him in his life and now we'll go on into the future. But he's eternal with no beginning, no end. He always has been. And that is who Jesus is. He is preexistent. He was there at creation. He is the word of creation. He's the one that holds all things together. Jesus is God. This is what we understand. When the Bible says he is the son of God, he is God. It's used over and over to speak of his divinity, his deity. And again, what you believe determines how you behave. Because when I believe that Jesus is God, that God was born here among us, that he walked on this earth, that he lived perfectly, that he told the truth, that he did miracles, that he went to a cross and died for my sins, that he was buried in a grave, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent his spirit, and one day he's coming back, that changes my behavior. I begin to look at him differently. Friends, this is really, really important to your Christianity. To understand that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. So much so, I mean, there, there have been attacks on who Jesus is from the very beginning. In 451 AD, there's a council of people, the Council of Chalcedon, that had to get together because there were other people saying Jesus really wasn't who he says he is. And they began to look at these two different natures. And so they came up with a statement looking at the two natures, the humanity and the divinity of who Jesus is. And they came away saying, no, this, these two natures are in perfect unity. They're not confused. They're not mixed. They're not separated. They are not divided. Each one of those natures holding its own attribute. And that's really important to understand as you start reading through the Gospels and you find these different moments in Jesus' life and you're just like, well, what's going on here? Like when you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's just like, he's sweating like drops of blood and he's feeling anxiety and you're like, well, how does God, God feel that kind of thing? He has the attribute of a man. He has the attribute that you and I experience. And so as you're reading through this, you begin to understand, no, this, this Jesus, he is the Christ and he is the Son of God. Important for you to know and important for you to believe. Now, I I want to mention something about belief and behavior here because there's something kind of unique that we begin to think when it comes to Christianity. We, We often kind of, sometimes we get it turned upside down, right? We look towards behavior and that gets us to God. Like, I need to be a good person and then God will accept me. Or we begin to get these ideas about Christians and, well, they're always going to be good people. And, you know, we just think, okay, you've got to be good in order to be saved. But can we all just agree that there are good people who don't believe that Jesus is the Lord? I mean, there's good people. 
There are people who are kind and talented and successful, and they've looked into the gospel, they've studied it, and they walk away saying, well, I think this is a myth. This is a fairy tale. This is manufactured. They, they, they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and yet they're good people. Like, you want to hang out with them. They're really nice. They're fun people. They're very kind. They're very generous. And it's kind of challenging to recognize that just being a nice person ultimately is not the most important thing for salvation. God isn't simply looking for your good behavior. Now, obviously, right, like belief leads to behavior, but there's something else at work here. Belief determines your destination. Belief determines your destination. God is looking at what you believe, not just how you behave, what you believe and what you believe about the Son of God. And we can congratulate good people for being good people. Way to go. Good job. You're really kind. You're really polite. You're really generous. Like, here's the citizenship award. Good job. But this isn't what well, the Bible says then that they have a relationship with God because they're good. Right? The Bible says if they don't have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, confess their sin, repented of their sin, they're not part of the family. They are not bound for heaven. Their citizenship is not in heaven. Their citizenship is here. Way to go. Good job. Way to be kind to everybody around you. But just simply being good does not get you into heaven. And we often want to think, I've been at many funerals, we think, well, if they've lived long enough, well, surely they're going to go to heaven. Or they were really good. They were good, kind people. Surely they're in heaven. What did they believe about Jesus? Because belief determines destination. Not just simply being good. Now, now, there's another point that I want to make, which is kind of on the opposite extreme here. Uh, there are a lot of difficult people who are Christians. There were silent whispers of amen uh, there. But aren't there people like you, you come across them, you're like, ah, your personality. I mean, we just kind of clash. Like, is this, you, you make it hard to love. Right? I've got stories. There's people that don't like me. Right? Go figure. I mean, there's just people don't always get along. It's all right, right? But I've looked at some people. I'm like, I, how are we on the same team here? I'm not quite sure. But here's the deal. It's not just about, you know, good personality and you're really likable, so therefore you're a Christian. No, the Bible says that anybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repents of their sin, receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're a child of God. And they get in the same way that you get in, despite their personality or those quirks that you may not get along with. And then, as a result, the Bible says our behavior towards them should be one of love. And we should love so here in a moment, let's, let's kind of begin to look at this idea of behavior. Now, how, how as family members who, who are called into the family of God, how do we best love one another? How do we love the children of God? Look at verse 2 again. Let's, let's go back to 1 John 5, verse 2. This is interesting, I think. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, this brings us to our behavior. What you believe determines how you behave. When I think of love, when I think about people who love me, I consider that those who love me best are those who agree with me, those, those who are most attentive to me, the people who really care about my wants and my needs, my hopes, my dreams. It's those people who are going to kind of put up with me on those difficult days, and they're just going to go along with what I want. I say, well, that's the person that loves me. But John says, no, that's not love. He says, we love others when we love and obey God. We love others when we love and obey God, when we act on his commands. The people who have loved me the best aren't the ones who tolerate me, however I want to live, 
They're not the ones who just simply agree with me. Let me do whatever I want to do. The people who have loved me the best are the people who have challenged me to take God seriously and to see myself rightly in the eyes of God. The people who have loved me best are the people who are obedient to God, and by result of their obedience to God, I long to be more obedient to God and to follow his commands. Now, it, it, we, many in this room, as we get older, we come to understand this, but let me just say to the younger people, either watching or in the room, if you're going into middle school or junior high or high school or you're going off to college or you're going back to college, that the people that love you, the people that love you aren't people who are just going to agree with you and then lead you in a direction that you shouldn't go. A true friend is going to take God seriously. They're going to take his commandments seriously. A true friend isn't going to come along and have you do something that goes against God and his commandments. That's not a friend. That's something else. And you have your pastor's permission to walk away from that person. Now, if you're influencing them and you're going to lead them through the gospel, awesome. But if you are being influenced by people who are saying, why don't you come join us and do these things and believe these things that are opposed to God and his word, you don't need that because that is not a friend and that is not loving. A friend is one who's going to come and say, what's happening here? This is not right. This is sin. It goes against God. It goes against his word. Let's keep marching in the direction of holiness. That's somebody who really loves you. It is, it is really loving when we come to people and we just tell them the truth. Isn't this what God does? He says, I discipline those whom I love. He doesn't just simply say, eh, believe whatever you want to believe, live however you want to live. No, I love you, so I'm going to create these boundaries and I'm going to point you in the direction of righteousness and wisdom so that you might know how to live. And wouldn't it be loving then as children of God to obey God and obey his commandments? Oh, and by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. That's what we read. This is what love is. So, these first five verses, we, we've, we've had these themes kind of weave together. It's like this twine and this path that we see here. And what we've seen, what we've seen, that belief leads to then behavior, this relationship with God. And a healthy relationship with God then leads us to love others. This is our behavior. We're going to love one another which then results and expresses itself in obedience to the commands of God. That's how we can best keep loving one another in this church. Let's just keep pointing one another to the truth. Let's not, let's not turn away from one another. Let's go ahead and say the hard things and keep pointing one another towards holiness and transformation through the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit in us. That's loving. Now, what you believe determines how you behave. Now, there's something very interesting. Remember how I said that John is always kind of like, it's like taking this idea, it's like a wood screw, and he's just screwing it down further and further, and he goes around to these different terms, and he, he, he digs a little bit deeper. He's going to do that in the next seven verses. So we're going to look at something here, and, and some of these verses, it's a little bit confusing, it's a little bit challenging. People have been wondering for quite some time, what does he mean here? Well, remember how I said he, he mentioned that Jesus is the Christ, which is 100% man, and he mentioned that Jesus is the Son of God, which is 100% God. Now, in these next seven verses, he's going to expand on that idea. He's going to talk to us once again about the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. So, here, here we go. Let's look at this next verse. Verse 6. This is he, Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water 
and the blood. And these three agree. Then he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Who is the son of God? Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Have you ever thought about that before? That, that people who are agnostic or atheist, they're, they're, they're calling God a liar? But God, you, you, you're a big fat liar. I don't believe you exist. I don't believe you've re- you know, revealed yourself in creation or through your word. I don't believe what you say about Jesus Christ. And so you're basically saying God is a liar. That is a precarious position to put yourself in. I don't believe you. And I don't believe in your son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony of himself. Whoever does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You are not going to get to the Father except through me. He's the life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Speaking of eternal life. Now, a little bit confusing in there. At the first few verses, uh, it's talking about you know, the spirit of God and the water and the blood. Let me give you my interpretation, all right? Let, let me kind of walk through the water and the spirit and the blood. These are issues that John is dealing with for his first century readers. And they were experiencing a lot of false teachers that were coming in. We've already talked about this. Now, like we started early on talking about these Gnostics. It's pre-Gnostics. This idea that we have this special knowledge, and this is the knowledge that we have. Everything that is spirit is good. Everything that is material is evil. So Jesus really wasn't material. He was more spirit than anything else. So that's this pre-Gnosticism. But then there were others who were coming in, and they were saying, all right, you, you, you Gnostics, you, you believe in the spirit being good. It doesn't really matter about the material. We believe, we believe that Jesus is more human than God. Like we, we believe that on the day of Jesus' baptism, this dove comes down and lands on Jesus, and at that moment, he becomes deity. At that moment, he becomes God. And then they went on to say, then at the crucifixion, he took it away. Like during this three-year window, Jesus, yeah, he's somebody that we should emulate and applaud, and he is God. But then at the cross, the Spirit of God was lifted off, and he just died an ordinary man, just as any other man would die. But if that were the case, well, that would just rob the redemptive power of the cross. It would, it would take away the atoning power of what happened there of God on a cross. And so in connection with this water and the blood, my, my interpretation, this water refers to the baptism. He's, he's God at the baptism. He's 100% man, 100% God at baptism. And he's 100% God and 100% man when he bled on the cross. And he says, these, these point to his messiahship and his deity. John says there is a witness here of the water, baptism, the blood, the cross, and the spirit testifying to these things. And these three still bear testimony to who Jesus is today. Right, you got the, the witness of the Spirit. Jesus has the Spirit and he gives the Spirit to all those who become children of God by repenting of our sin, making him our Lord, our, our Savior, and walking with him. He gives us his Spirit. 
We have his spirit as a testimony on the inside of us that we're alive. I had an old dead life, an old dead spirit, but then he came in and now I've been made alive in him. Now I really have life, the life of Christ. And that spirit exists today within the church, church universal and church local. It is the spirit of God that we've met with here today. Who's here now? Then you have the witness of the water, the baptism. You have Jesus Christ at his baptism, and there we find the Trinity. You, you hear the Father God say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then you have the Spirit descending on him. So you have the Holy Spirit. You have God the Father. You have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the Trinity in this moment bearing witness to who he is. And we still have the powerful witness of baptism today when we see Christians who have been transformed by Jesus Christ. They're not walking into the water going, well, I really tried hard and I've been making myself better and better and I think I'm like 80% better than I was. No, they're saying, I died to my old life. Jesus Christ is living in me. He's transformed me. Heaven is my home and I'm gonna walk with Jesus from now on. So we have a powerful witness in the symbol of baptism. Then you have the blood. You have the cross. And for centuries now, people like you have been gathering together around the Lord's table to point to the cross, to say that on that cross was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid for my sin. This is that kind of moment where we remember Jesus, God who became man, his incarnation. Perfect unity in his nature, right? They're not mixed, they're not divided, they're not separated. It is his attributes, fully God, fully man on the cross, standing as a substitute for you and for me. Communion becomes this opportunity for believers. It flows from our belief. What you believe determines how you behave. This behavior of partaking in communion, this is what we do as a result of our belief, that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, who died for my sins on the cross. As we take communion today, uh, hopefully you picked up a communion cup on the way in. For those of you that may be watching online, I would just encourage you, maybe you can find something in these moments here and you can partake with us. Um, our cup has a cellophane on top, has the bread under that, and then you have another piece of cellophane and you have the juice under that layer. Here at BRCC, you don't need to be a member of this church to take part in this moment. Anybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you've been following Jesus, you'd say, I'm a Christian. I've said yes to him. Please join us. Because this is part of what we do as believers. We behave in this way. I would say that if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, you don't need to take this. This is for believers. This is what we do. This is part of our behavior is we remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This bread here on top, that represents his body. His body, which was 100% man, and yet he retains the attribute of God had broken for us. And this blood that was spilled out on the cross represented in the juice, his perfect sinless blood spilled for me and you so that we might find forgiveness because there's a payment to sin and Jesus paid it. And we're reminded of that. As we take it today, if you have your children here with you, we just encourage you. You know whether or not uh, your children have made a decision. They understand what's happening. So we leave that to parents. You can take these moments that we have together and uh, you can pray silently. You can pray with those who are around you. 
Let's just allow this to be a meaningful moment of behavior where we're responding to what Christ has done for us. I want to read to you what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given it, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we, we have this moment to remember. This is something tangible. This is a behavior that we have that begins to flow out of what you have done for us in a moment of time. Thank you for sending your sinless son to live and to die, to pay the price for our sin on that bloody cross. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that he didn't stay on that cross and he did not stay dead, that he rose again. He is right now at the right hand of you, our Father. And Lord, as we remember this, we're going to keep remembering it until you send him back for his church. We thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.